This is Abdi from Technical Foul Podcast. What's up, y'all? TFP. Glad y'all joining in today. We got a special guest, folks. Special guest. You know, spent four years at Boston College, 15 years in the NBA, 1995 Most Improved Player of the Year, was an NBA All-Star, you know, has his own basketball club over in Stoughton, Massachusetts. When you're talking Boston legends and you don't mention this man's name, then you don't know what you're talking about sports-wise. You have no valid reason to speak on Boston sports at all if you don't mention this man's name. Um, We got... Special guest, his name is Dana Barros, man. Dana, how's he, how are you doing today, and how's 2022 starting for you so far? Um, it's, it's going well, man. Like I said, I'm still alive. Been been crazy couple of years, but, um, you know, business as well, um, family and kids as well, so nothing to complain about, man, you know? I like that. I like that. We're going to talk about a few things here. We're going to get into Dana's career, you know? We're going to get into the basketball club that he owns out in Stoughton, Massachusetts in a little bit. But before I ask you that, I want to know who or what inspired you to fall in love with the game of basketball? Uh, Great question, man. My pops, my mom and pops had me at 15. So when I was like two years old, I went to my father's junior college game and it was like in this little old rinky dink gym. And I just watched them play, man. It was like only like 10 people in the stands. It wasn't like no dramatic situation. I'm just like, why is my pops running up and down the floor shooting the ball? And literally from that moment forward, I can't remember ever wanting to do anything else, man. It just was, it was instilled in me. That's awesome that your father and a family member, let alone just a family member, inspired you to play this, the, the game that you're so great at, you know? Um but you grew up in the city of Boston, you know, growing up in Boston, there must have been a lot of talent that came from there, basketball-wise. Do you think the city of Boston gets overlooked as one of the cities that develops great basketball talent? Uh, absolutely. In the last, I would say, 10 years, we have maybe the 10 players just directly that came either through my camps when they were younger, you know, from Nellis the world, Michael Carter-Williams. You know, uh, Terrence Clark, rest in peace, who was at my gym all summer working out. Um, just a lot of Boston guys, man, with a lot of history in the, over the last 10 years that have been really successful. Shabazz Napier still works out at the gym. So, um, you know, it's just um, I love the, the thing about the gym. Was like I get to have all those guys come through whenever they want. I've had the Celtics come through during the lockout when they couldn't use any other gyms. They came through my gym and worked out and really got to know those guys on a personal level. So that's the thing that basketball brings all that into focus and together, you know? Yeah, that must have been tough during, you know, the past couple of months. Let's just say past couple of years with all the COVID going on, but having, you know, the Celtics coming over there for practice is big time. And for you to open up your doors to them, that just shows how much you love the city and how, you know, the city appreciates you as a person, not just a basketball player. So that's awesome. But while we're still on the topic of Boston, you also grew up in a rough environment at the time, violence, drugs, et cetera. How did growing up in that environment make you the person you are today? Man, it's just, um, I guess I have an innate ability to learn from mistakes because I was always find myself in certain situations, but a lot of people in the city of Boston just looked out for me, kept me out of trouble, 
made sure I didn't get involved in certain things. And, um, man, I just owe a lot <laughs> to so many different people, so many, so many different people that still here and not here. But, man, it's just um, it's just a testament because as a young kid playing, I would, I would be 13, 14, playing 19 and under AAU. And I had some, like, real cats that really protected me and saved me in a lot of situations. And, um, and I'll never forget that. So, you know, whenever, whenever I want to salute anything or anybody after my parents, it's, it's the bean, definitely the bean. That's awesome. It's awesome. You went to Zaverian high school, Zaverian brothers in Westwood, Massachusetts. Shout out to your math teacher, by the way, I did a little research. He's, he's the teacher that lets you, you know, work on your game, your shots. Um, you played a little football at the time, though, you know. So could you talk to us about how you weren't great at basketball, but you were great at another sport, like really, really great? Can you let these people know how great you were at football? Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was just weird because I really never practiced football a day in my life other than just playing some Nerf on the street with my friends or whatever. But I was just an amazing football player. I could catch everything. I had a 43-inch vertical. I ran a 4-3-40 on visits to football, you know, to, to BC, actually. My visits to BC were two football visits with Doug Flutie. And all, and all we did the whole football visit weekend was play basketball at the Plex because he loved playing basketball. So, um, yeah, football was a big part of my life. And I was going to play football at BC because – they didn't give me a basketball scholarship till the last day. Somebody else left the team and they had an extra scholarship. So they called me up like maybe five hours before I was going to sign my my football scholarship. And, you know, basically told me they had an extra basketball scholarship and did I want to play basketball instead. So that's what happened. I was going to play football and then walk on the basketball team because the Big East was the Big East back then. Man, can't. I mean, you you touched on Doug Flutie for a little bit. Can you tell us how he was as a, you know, guy welcoming you? By the way, shout out to Doug Flutie. I'm wearing his jersey right now. I see you. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Big ups to J-Rod. J-Rod gave me this. Um, My guy, J-Rod. But, yeah, talk to us about Doug Flutie a little bit. Like, how did he persuade you to come to Boston College? Just a cool dude. I mean, I'm, I'm, I remember seeing him on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He just won the Heisman. So I'm like going up to visit and they're like, you're going to hang out with Doug Flutie. I stayed in his room and he was just the most down to earth dude. He was just, we woke up. He's like, go, let's go to calf. We played, play, you know, went to the Plex, played ball, went back, ate, you know, watched the TV and then went back to the Plex and played ball for two days straight. That's <laughs> all we did, you know, but uh, just a real down to earth dude. I still see him to this day. You know, he just, um, I was actually at throwing out a first pitch at a baseball game in this, just this town doing an appearance, yo. After I throw out the first pitch, and they said, and starting that pitching is Doug Flutie. Yo, this dude's playing single A baseball with some like town somewhere. I was like, yo, you crazy. But that's yeah. who he is. That's what he does. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Paul Brazil, Jim O'Brien, what runs through your mind when I'm when I when these names just pop out? Big East. I mean, uh, damn, Jim O'Brien. Um, I, I started off at BC with Gary Williams for one year. Then he left and Jim O'Brien came in. And, you know, again, I, I got to salute uh, J.O. because he gave me the rock and he just was like, look, I need you to do whatever you do. 
whenever you need, you know, he just was like, basically gave me the green light and said, we, we ain't got nothing else. I need you to do, do what you do. And uh, for three years, he allowed me to be me. And it just um, salute to him because, you know, he uh, he came into the, again, the Big East situation where we was, man, we was winning one and two games in the Big East back then. We were the, we were the basement of the Big East at that time. So, you know, I, I salute to J.O. because he gave me the rock and let me do my thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, Paul was, you know, the recruiter that was sent out to watch your games. And there was an article out at the time that said, you know, there was not you weren't you weren't getting looked as much, and then Jim mm -hmm. O'Brien and Paul continuously came to your game. So big ups to them. Can you let Definitely. these yeah? Can you let the the people listening, the people watching, know how insane and how difficult it was to play in the Big East at that time? Man, I'm gonna tell you, I went to I went to the Boston College on that visit. Me me and Doug Flutie sat at midcourt, and BC was playing Georgetown at the Garden on this visit weekend. So I'm, I'm sitting there with Doug Flutie, and, man, when I seen Pat Ewan come out the locker room and walk right in front of me, and he was, like, 7'2", dripping with sweat, that's the first time in my life I was like, oh, do I really want to do this? Like, Georgetown came out like straight gangsters. You know, they had the high, the high boot Nikes on, and they was – like top two in the country. And I was like, whoa, this is like some NBA-ish right here. And that to me was my wake-up call for the whole summer. I was petrified about what was coming up that fall. So it made me put that extra, extra work in, definitely. Yeah, that fear definitely, you know, put you in the gym, made you work extra hard. You finished your time at Boston College averaging nearly 20 points per game. You led the Big East in scoring in consecutive seasons. You declared for the draft, get selected at 16 by Seattle. Can you explain your emotions and what you're going through when you get that phone call? It was crazy because I was um, I was in Chicago the day of the draft, the morning of the draft, and I was I had a meeting with Jerry Krause, and they were picking like 20th, and they told me they want to pick pick me with the 20th pick. So I'm like fly back home, telling everybody I'm about to go play with Mike. You know, Jordan was my favorite player, so I'm I'm just gassed. I'm like, okay, because I wasn't even supposed to be a, um, picked until the second round, so I wasn't I wasn't thinking about saying like, no one's gonna pick me before twenty. So I'm just watching the draft with my man. I'm not even paying attention. And David Stern was like, with the 16th pick, Seattle selects Donna Bariosi. I'm like, who the hell is Donna Bariosi, right? <laughs> I'm like, who this? So my man's like, yo, that's you, that's you. So I'm like, oh, no. Nah, nah. And literally the first hour, I was disgusted. I was like, how can – I don't even know where Seattle is. I wanted to play with Mike. They was going to take me. I was pretty down about that, man. But then I said, okay, they picked Sean Kemp next. And then when I got to Seattle, me and Sean Kemp was next-door neighbors for like two years, and we, we just did our thing, you know? Yeah. Y'all were killing, man. I'm not going to lie. Bernie Bickerstaff is coaching you at the time. He leaves to Denver. Gary he was Payne. the one guy in the league, and he was like, if I put you in the game and you don't shoot, I'm going to take you out because that's why I picked, I brought you here. So I right. love that. Yeah. yeah, so he, you know, he's coaching you. And then he up and leaves to Denver. Uh, you clearly showed how you felt about that right now. So Gary Payton gets selected a year later. How did that sequence of events, you know, affect your time at Seattle? 
It was, man, it was bad. It was bad for me because I remember leading up to the draft, we were between like we was going to get the first, second, or third pick. And I know if we got the first pick, we was going to take Derek Coleman. So I'm like, okay, I know I'm good. If, if they pick Derek Coleman, I'm still good. But I knew if they picked GP, it was a problem. So we slipped to second, and then they picked him. And I was like, wow, because I was like, I think, second or third team all-rookie. And I knew Casey Jones from the day his training camp happened. He, he told me, I don't even want you to look at the basket until the ball goes inside to Benoit Benjamin. And I knew I had a problem right there. I said, this is going to be a serious problem because he wanted straight defensive guards. He didn't want to shoot, you know, shooting point guards. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to get into that question later on, but before I talk about that, I really think you're one of the luckiest players to play in the league. Why? Because you got to play in two eras where there were icons, like names that you just, Pop out and say, great, greatest of all time. Put him in the GOAT conversation. Which era do you believe produced the best talent and what player sticks out to you the most? Man, I mean, uh, I think the players now are, are more talented from an athletic standpoint, you know, just, but I don't think they play the game better. You know what I mean? Like they don't have as much skill when you can, I guess, when you can take off and dunk from the foul line, it doesn't make you want to work on fundamentals as much. You know what I'm saying? So I get where they're coming from. But I just think these guys are so much uh, more athletic, but the game was so much more physical that I can't explain to someone who never saw that era what it was like. They don't understand that if you come to the hoop and you're doing some shimmy, the next time you come to the hoop, you getting hit upside your head, like straight up. There's no fines, no 10-game suspensions. It's two shots and we playing rock. So, you know, I think that the athleticism is better, but it's hard for me to explain to people how physical and difficult the game was back then and different. Oh, man, they let you guys play back then. They for let sure. you guys play. You spent 15 years in the league, you know. What team... Did you have the best time with? I think I already know the answer by your background, but let let the fans know what team was it that you spent the best time with? I mean, people usually think Philly because of the all-star, but honestly, like my last two years in Seattle was the funnest time because I, after those two years in Seattle, I never went to the playoffs ever again. Um until I came back and played a half a year with Boston, like my, my final season. And even though I wasn't playing as much, we were winning 60 games. We lost in the Western Conference Finals. Those were my funnest years in terms of, you know, um, basketball, because when I, was, when I was a free agent in Philly, my all-star year, that was not fun for me. I was a free agent coming up that year. I was strictly business. I would send my wife home from Philly, be like, I just, I'm here for six days, these important games. I don't want to even, I just want to be by myself. So that wasn't a good time for me because I was just so focused that I just, uh, I wanted to spend a lot of my time alone, you know, so I can get that business handled. Yeah, man. I mean, when you're a free agent in the league and you got family, definitely, definitely catches up on you. So I'm glad you handled that well. Um, you know, who's your favorite teammate? Those 15 years that you spent in the league? Man, I would say Sean Kemp, definitely, man. It was so easy to play with him, throw the ball up, and just 
And I just think when we, when we, we would always come into the game together with Bernie Bickerstaff. And I just, I just never have been in an arena where when I came in the game with Sean, the electricity in the arena just kind of made the hair on your neck stand up. You know what I mean? Because he was that electric to everyone. So that to me was um, the most fun I ever had playing on the court. And then my other guy is Paul Pierce because I was I was with him as a rookie man and I used to go get me a USA Today, bro. Like you know, we used to run the rookie joint on him. So, and then you know, I was with him through the through the stabbing and everything at his house every day after that, man, and with his moms and just him him saying, "Nah, I don't want to be traded. I'm I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna stand ten toes down, and I'm gonna win a championship here before I leave." Yo, that to me was gangster. Like, and he won it too, you know, because they 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 was like, yo, what trade you to get you know get you a new fresh start and blah blah blah. He was like, nah, I'm good, I'm good, you know. Awesome. So that's awesome. That's my- yeah, Paul Pierce is my favorite player of all time, and hearing that come out of you, that that's just that's awesome to hear. So, but you talked about Seattle there for a little bit, and you talked about how electrifying it was. You think you think the NBA should think about having a team back up in Seattle? Yeah, they got robbed, man. They got robbed. What happened was uh, the dude, the owner of Starbucks, he bought the team and he had it in the contract where they had to, the city had to build a new arena for the team. If they didn't do that within five years, he could move the team. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone thought that the city was going to come up with the money, but they decided to build the arena for the football team instead of the basketball team. So now they didn't want to build, a, you know, two arenas. So he got to move the team, which is so he, he didn't, he didn't like to see it for some reason, but the fan base was crazy. I mean, listen, bro, we was, we lost to Utah when they went to play the Bulls in the, in the finals. We lost to them. We came back. There was like 15,000 people at the airport, like that type of craziness. Like they was, the city was unbelievable. And for them to not have a team is disgusting, man, because, there's way more teams out there with some terrible fan base, terrible, you know, front office that don't deserve a team. 100%. For real. 100%. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think Seattle definitely needs a team back up there. Get those green, yellow, and white jerseys back in the NBA because, you know, those jerseys were fired, by the way. Um, toughest, toughest person to go up against in your 15 seasons. I'm going to take MJ out, okay, because that was, that was 11, 12 seasons we played. So I'm going to take him out because that's pretty obvious. But I'm going to say um, Tim Hardaway Sr. When wow. People don't know about this dude. Like He had a knee injury maybe seven years in. Before that, he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like This dude was unbelievable. He was fast enough that he could go by you. His handle was crazy, crazy. Uh, and he averaged 10, 11 assists a game, you know, for the first 10 years of his career. So to me, that was tough because he could also post up. He was 5'10", and he would post up Jason Kidd and Gary Payton because he was about two, 215, you know what I mean? So don't sleep on that dude, man, for yeah. real. Yeah, Tim Hardaway is, is great. His son is in the league, by the way. Shout out to him. Um, but with the way, you know, the game is being played today, I believe it's a guard heavy game. I also believe 
that you possibly could have been a top 10 pick if you were to enter, enter the draft in the last 10 years. Given your success in your playing days, how do you feel that would translate to today's game? Man, that's what every that's what every person over 35 right says to me today. Yo, it would be crazy right now. It would be crazy. I remember. Because, man, listen, if I if I came down and I took three threes and I was started off the game 0 for 3, the announcer would be, what in the hell is going on? He's just jacking the ball up. It was none of that. Like I averaged like two three pointers a game, like like attempts. You know, like like when I made the All Star team, maybe four attempts that game. So to play now, man, I would be man. I'll be on that. I'll be thinking, man. I'll be max deal something. I'll be like one. You know, I'll give me that max deal. Mils. Get that hundred mil. Man, what? This is great. Number two, back then we played. We, we trapped every player that came off a of pick and roll who could score. Like, you you wasn't playing off a of pick and roll and switching. Now, I don't understand when I just see Steph Curry call out their center and the team will actually switch their center on LeBron or Steph Curry and let James Harden Steph Curry, and play one-on-one. I'm just watching this like, this is crazy. It's yeah. so easy. No right defense. Now. No defense in the league now. They would double-team. Whoever, like when I came off a pick, the Knicks would double team me. They would rotate and they would leave Tim Perry open in the corner and say, if you make 10 threes today, bro, you're going to have 40. Go ahead. <laughs> like they were the best players ever play. So it's just, it's better for the fans, but man, it's just, it's so easy to score. Uh-huh. I can imagine. Man, you dropped 60, like you were dropping 60 in high school if you were to play in today's game. Me personally, that's what I think. But no. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I have a little fun here. Um, like I said, hold your head, son. It'll only take a second. Can you finish this <laughs> lyric for me? Check it out now. People come on while I wreck it. That's my, that's my, my joint from 95, man. That's yeah. when I had my BT MTV, man. That was, that was crazy for me. Cause I'm a hip hop head. I still do music to this day with my son. Awesome. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, man, I was, um, Rakim, man. I was baby Rakim, man. I thought I was baby Rakim. Man, you, you were spitting some bars on that, you know, so, like, big ups to you. Big ups to your son, too, for, you know, getting him in, into just music. Not not all basketball, so, like, I want to congratulate you as a father for letting your son do what he wants to do. Um, but before we go, could you speak on the Dana Barrows Basketball Club you have in Stoughton, Massachusetts, what you do for the younger generation and how folks can reach you if they have it? Any further questions? Yeah, man, we have a five-court facility, Dana Barrows Basketball Club. It's all wood, beautiful facility. We have 40 AAU teams. We go year-round. We're having Martin Luther King Day Clinic. So every vacation is, you know, we always have the gym open with with little stuff going on for the kids. Um, Like I said, the city did amazing things for me, and I feel like this is the most important thing while I'm here on this earth is to, to give back, to teach Life through basketball. That's what I try to do, man. Get the knuckleheads to understand that there's no excuses. There's no circumstances. You know, I, I you know, we've all been through it all. So that's my goal. And then you can go to DanaBarrows3.com. Check it out. But again, um, it's about the kids. And I appreciate you having me, man. It's love. Got you. That's love. That's love. You want to plug in your IG real quick for the folks that go on social media? Yeah, DanaBarrows3.com. Okay, DanaBarrows3. I mean, I- Browse three, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that's my uh, that's my Insta. I'm on there doing, you know, still trying to teach them to show you little tips, shooting tips, dribbling tips, stuff like that. Uh, so that's what I do. Again, love, love, love. Hey, yeah. yes, sir. I appreciate you, Dana, man, and I hope this year you get full success, full of health, full of everything, man. I I do appreciate you for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast, man. Much love. No Respect. doubt. Salute. Salute. And then that, that Doug, that Doug Flutie, that Doug Flutie jersey is hard. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go look that look see if I got one laying around somewhere. You got me though. <laughs> most deaf, most deaf, man. You take care. Enjoy a long weekend. Uh you too, man. Peace, bro. Peace. One. One.